Today on the Matt Wall Show, desperate Democrats are warning that voting Republican means the death of democracy. But the real threat to our democracy, and in fact to our whole civilization, comes from somewhere else. It comes in part from the protesters at my event last night who were ripping pages out of the Bible and eating them. I'll explain. Also, Ted Cruz bravely walks into the chicken coop and debates the squawking hens of The View. CNN tries to embarrass Trump voters in a focus group, but it doesn't work out the way they intended. Sandy Hook families now want to sue Alex Jones for trillions of dollars, with a T, trillions. And one of the most prominent Native American activists in the country who just died recently wasn't actually Native American at all. Imagine that. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. The left is losing their faith, but we are not. And a core part of that faith is prayer. I talk a lot about stressful things all day, and you might feel a little overwhelmed with uh, where the country is going, but I've got good news. Hallow can help you find some peace and hope rooted not in the government or its institutions, but in God. Hallow has over 5,000 audio-guided prayers, meditations, and peaceful Christian music, including the Rosary with with, uh, Bishop Barron and Mark Wahlberg, the Bible in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz, prayers for kids so we aren't raising another generation of crazies, and many more. Hallow helps you build a daily routine and a habit of prayer. It helps me to pray, meditate, and sleep better. It's a huge part of my daily routine. You get an exclusive three-month trial of Hallow at hallow.com slash Matt Walsh. That's hallow.com slash Matt Walsh. Reclaim your peace in this crazy world. Download Hallow today. We are now officially uh, two weeks from Election Day. There was some question over the summer about whether it would really materialize, but now it seems rather clear that the red tsunami is coming. Uh, We can see the signs, the water level dropping, the tide going out, the wave gathering strength as it heads to shore. And when I talk about signs, I don't mean the polls, which are all fake and made up and meaningless and who cares. I'm talking about the Democrats themselves, how they're behaving, what they're saying. They know what's on the horizon, and uh, that's why they're becoming so desperate and frantic. So this weekend, we saw Joe Biden promising a bunch of TikTok stars that he would uh, pay for their abortions and make sure that every state in the union is sexually mutilating children. This is what democratic desperation looks like. This is what they do when they're scared. They double down on their infanticide and child castration advocacy. Also, even more indicative, the Democrats are warning that the coming Republican takeover of the House and possibly the Senate as well will will, will spell the end of democracy in America. So Max Boot writes for the Washington Post, quote, if the current trends hold up, Republicans are likely to take over at least the House and quite possibly the Senate too, along with many state offices. This is how democracies die, both at home and abroad. So democracies die when voters participate in them, says the Washington Post. So by voting, you are killing democracy. In a similar way, uh, you might die of thirst by drinking fresh water or drown by sitting on dry land. MSNBC had a similar message last night. In fact, they took it a step further. According to Joy Reid and her panel of guests who all together with their brain power combined equal the IQ of a moderately intelligent meerkat, if voters, they say, vote for Republicans, They are essentially Nazis. Listen. Matthew, we talk about this all the time. Democracy on the ballot. It's not just a slogan. You know, I mean, we're talking about women literally losing agency over themselves. Donald Trump has said, you know where he's going to challenge the election? Already in advance, he says he's going to do it. Philly. That's a dog whistle, right? I mean, it's not even being hidden. At this point, it's just fascism in the open. And what scares me is that I'm not sure everybody 
minds. You know, I think there are some people who will just sit back and let it happen, thinking it won't be that bad. And that, to me, is almost well, more dangerous than the radicals. Well, I mean, I'm not calling, uh, I'm not going to say that, you know, the GOP are Nazis at this point or whatever, but it certainly sounds very familiar to what happened in Germany, which is a bunch of citizens, Adolf Hitler gets a third of the vote. Nobody thought it could happen there. They kind of went along because they said he was going to solve the economy and fix inflation. Yeah, uh, you can, that's right. You can hear those sorts of things. And then, oh, lo and behold, few years later, they lost their democracy and they're all like, how'd that happen here? That's my worry. That is my worry. If Obviously, the price of a hamburger, the price of milk, the, the price of gas is concerning. But what is what the, that is a short term problem. The loss of a democracy will decimate everyone's freedom. Yes, your inability to eat is a short term problem. I mean, I guess it probably is. The only problem is that there, you know, you might not have an opportunity for any problems after that. If you're not able to eat, uh, but I, I am, I have to say, I'm, I am begging all of you, absolutely begging you, especially on the left, to learn about something in history other than the Nazis. Not that you actually know anything about the Nazis or how they rose to power, of course. Your understanding of your one single historical period of interest is dubious at best, but, but it's really time to branch out anyway. It really is. Other things have happened in the world before and since, I promise you. There are other things that you could compare current events to. The possibilities for historical analogies are endless, but you have to read a history book first. In any event, I, I do appreciate Matthew Dowd's prudence and restraint. I'll give him credit for that because he says that he's not going to compare the GOP to Nazis. But all he's saying is that the GOP are just like the Nazis. He's not going to make the comparison. He's simply pointing out that Republicans are exactly like the Nazis. That's all. And you are ushering in the end of democracy if you vote for them. This is all preposterous, of course. Democracy is not under threat because of Republicans. But that is not to say that democracy isn't under threat at all. I mean, it is. And it's much more than democracy that hangs in the balance. The entirety of Western civilization is on the brink of collapse, is indeed in the process of collapsing. It's not because of one election or one political event. It's because we are, as a society, rejecting fundamental basic truth. Our civilizational flight from truth is the real threat to democracy, to civilization. You can't have a functioning democracy without truth. You can't have a thriving country or any real country at all without truth. You can only have chaos and misery. Which brings me to my event last night at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, yesterday, I told you about the drama and the lead-up to the screening of, of my film and my speech and Q&A afterwards. Leftist students and faculty were losing their minds over the prospect of my physical presence on campus. They filed a bias incident report. They tore down flyers. They set up safe spaces. They graffitied all over the campus, uh, including vandalizing a veterans memorial. When I finally arrived on campus yesterday, over 300 protesters, apparently was the number, gathered outside. Uh, many tried to rush inside the building. Some made it in. Some were stopped. They rushed into the screening of the film. They tried to disrupt it. Uh, I'm told that one of the protesters literally vomited in, like out of rage. It's like actual, an actual scene from The Exorcist played out. During my talk, they repeatedly pulled the fire alarm, which had the effect of knocking the AV system out. So I didn't have a working microphone for a large portion of the speech. Fortunately, I have a loud enough voice, so that was only a minor inconvenience. 
Back outside, they ranted and raved incoherently, often branch, often branching into grievances that have seemingly nothing to do with the subject of my film or my talk. Here's just one example. Listen. And that includes an organizing spaces because so much of the time, organizing spaces are dominated by white people who don't give BIPOC voices a chance to speak. That voice is hard to listen to. Uh, yes, people of color are not able to speak. She screams into a megaphone. Most of the speeches and chants were targeting me and explaining why I'm a horrible person. But the interesting thing about this girl is that she was at least partially targeting her own comrades. It doesn't take long for them to start to eat each other and eat other things too, actually. Um, as the protest grew, it also became more explicitly satanic there was one woman who pulled out a Bible and began ripping pages out of it and eating them. And we can see that, see her do that here. If you thought I was exaggerating when I call these people demonic, well, here you go. Um, I spoke yesterday about the helpful contrast, right, that you see with these when these leftist protesters show up. Here's another one. Which way will you go, America? That's the choice that you have. Which way, Western man? Do you want to join in with the side that eats the Bible and vomits in anger, kills babies, castrates little children? Or do you want to join literally any side but that one? I mean, this is the choice to be made. Sadly, though, up to this point, our civilization has made its choice. And it chose the Bible eaters. It chose these screaming, spastic lunatics. Fundamentally, it shows untruth. Because as I am constantly reminding everyone, this, this is what these people represent. It's what they advocate for. It's what they demand. It's why they protest. It's not merely about silencing conservative voices. It's not about squashing debate or discussion. It is all of that. But more importantly, it's about driving truth, even the most basic truths, especially the most basic truths, out of college campuses, out of all of our institutions, um, out of the public square, off of social media, off of all the platforms, and off into exile. Their goal is to build a society apart from truth, where they can make their own, their own truth and live in their relativistic utopia, one in which everything revolves around the self and around the ego. But we've seen how this utopia works. Specifically, we've seen that it doesn't. It doesn't work. A civilization grounded in relativism is not grounded at all. It is weak and unstable. It will collapse and it will take everything down with it, including democracy. That's what's at stake here. And that's why we may be tempted to laugh at these embarrassing displays on college campuses. I laugh at them, but what lies underneath all of the hysteria is this war on truth. These, these kids have been conditioned to lash out blindly, violently, with rage and fury at any discussion of truth, at any individual who speaks truth. That's why I'm doing all this, why I'm in the fight. I, I, I see this as a fight for truth itself, and thus for civilization itself. To reiterate what I said at the end of my speech last night, if you'll forgive me plagiarizing myself, 
Um, it really is as simple as this for me, that the truth matters. And it matters more than anything else. It matters more than ideology. It matters more than your preferences, your feelings. It matters more than your self-identification. It matters more than your life and more than mine. See, these leftist protesters, they claim that, that my speaking truth or anyone else who speaks truth, that when we do that, we somehow put their lives at risk. Now, I don't think that's true. They were not putting their lives at risk by speaking the truth. But even if it was, I would still speak it. And I would still encourage you to speak it. The truth would be worth the cost. Be worth the cost of their lives. It's worth the cost of my own life. I would speak the truth if it put my own life at risk. And according to the death threats that I get all the time, it does. And that's because life itself can't have any meaning. Nothing can have meaning apart from the truth. There's nothing to fight for except the truth. Nothing to live for except the truth. There is no love without it. There's no beauty. There's no joy. There's no uh, freedom. There's nothing without truth. And that's why we can't give it up. For anyone's sake, no matter what. Now let's get to our five headlines. Uh, well, there's one other clip I wanted to play from last night before we move on. And uh, I wish I could play the whole exchange, but it, it's, it's too long. Uh, I have a, a kind of a longer clip that I'm going to play it still. But you can find the whole clip on my, my Twitter page. It's a, a, during the Q&A, a person who identifies as trans who's going through transition right now, did come up to speak in the Q&A. And, and this is, doesn't happen very often. This is pretty rare. I mean, I do these Q&As and anyone can come speak. And I'm always encouraging people don't agree with me to come speak. And very rarely do they take me up on it. They'd rather go uh, stay outside where they have their numbers and they can shout into megaphones and hold their signs and all of that. This was someone who actually came and, and spoke and, and stood up there. And, uh, and I appreciate that. It, it takes courage. It takes guts to do that. Um, from from you know from from his perspective, this is like walking into the lion's den. This is behind enemy's territory. From his, we're not his enemies, but that's how he would see it. And so it takes guts to do this. So I thought this was an important conversation. I wanted to share um, a, a piece of it with you. Here it is. Eight months ago, I was diagnosed with gender dysphoria while I was inpatient here in UW Madison. Um, I looked into the research and like talked to doctors and through my uh, journey, I decided to explore medically transitioning, you know, because it's shown to decrease suicidal ideation and stuff like that. Um, and since then, although I've had to deal with other issues such as transphobia and sexual assault, I've been more happier overall than I ever was before. And my question to you is, what specifically about medically transitioning do you think is so immoral that we should ignore the potential benefits? And why should I listen to you as somebody who's not a medical professional and has not experienced gender dysphoria? There's a dishonesty behind it. Dishonesty in the false promises that they make, which is that you can attain this image of uh, maleness or femaleness that you can actually become, in some ways, the, the opposite gender or sex, whatever words you want to use, which is a lie. It's not true. You never can. I think I can, pass. And I, I, I have a horrible Adam's apple. My, my voice sounds like this. I still love myself. And there has always been should. money in making people happy, like wearing nice clothes or good food. 
it does cost a lot of money. That's why I, I can't get surgeries that would make me a lot happier. Um, but the, but the so point of but why, the point, why? But the point of medicine is not supposed to be to make you happy in the moment. That's not that's not the objective of medicine. The objective of medicine is your overall wellness. It's about treating what is actually wrong. That's that's medicine. And so if you are struggling to accept who who you were born as, what your actual biological identity is, I have all the compassion in the world for that. I mean, I, I can't imagine having that disconnect in my head. It has to be a source of, of immense despair. But what I hate is the, is the medical professionals who instead of helping you with that, and help, instead of helping you to accept who you really are and find joy and fulfillment in it, they're trying to make a quick buck. And they're selling you false promises. And they're telling you that this stuff is based on long-term studies. And they're lying to you because it's not. There have never been any reliable long-term studies on almost all of this stuff because the fact is that the medical industry only started doing this at such a large scale recently. So they couldn't have the data. They're pretending that they do. They're lying. And that's what I hate. That's, that's the immorality. Yeah, so like I said, that was a piece of it. That's kind of the beginning and the end, and then there's the, the middle two, which you can find on my, uh, you, you can find on YouTube, or you can find it on Twitter. Um, and I wanted to show that to you because, first of all, again, I, just, I appreciate the fact that somebody was actually willing to go and stand up there and ask a question. Um, and, and also, I want to show that it's, it's, you know, we have this idea that when you're talking to someone who actually is trans or actually identifies that way, and is going through the whole process that it's like we have to choose between being compassionate or being truthful. Those are two separate paths. Those are two different choices. That's the way it's presented. That's not the case. I think you can be compassionate and also um, say what is true, which is what I tried to do there. Now, if I have one regret, and this is not meant as a criticism of the audience, who are great. Uh, and, and really, all the audiences we've had on this tour have been, have been awesome, very supportive. And I appreciate them all very much. But I regret in some ways the applause for me at the end there. Not that it was inappropriate. It's just, you know, it's the audience's way of saying they agree. And, um, and it was not, it's not like a combative applause, but it's, uh, it's the nature of the forum. That's how it works in that kind of forum. And that's fine. But it does... You know, it kind of makes it sound maybe at the end like a Matt Walsh destroys type of video. And that's not what it is. It's not what I intended. I certainly hope that the, that the student, you know, didn't, that, that wasn't his takeaway. Um, it's not, this is not a matter of trying to debunk or embarrass someone, certainly. Um, I care about him. I do. Um, I, I care about these kids who are being taken advantage of. I know a lot of them hate my guts. They think that I'm a horrible person. I'm a monster. And I get that. That's how the way they see it. That's okay. But I care about them. Um, that's, that's why I care about the issue, is people like that who uh, are dealing with something, dealing with something real, but it's internal. It's, it's like something in his mind, something real. And if I had a chance to follow up with that student, I would tell him, First of all, that you know, it's 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 going to be okay. I know I know he's suffering. I don't doubt that. I know it, uh, but it's going to be okay. He is okay. There's nothing wrong with him physically. 
He says there that he, uh, he talks about he hates his Adam's apple and his voice, but there's nothing wrong with any of that. You know, that's, that's, that's him. That's who he is. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. That's who you are. There's nothing wrong with who you are. The, the trouble is, is when your mind is not able to reconcile with who you are or for whatever reason is not wanting to accept who you are. And so it's that struggle to accept. That, that is the fundamental issue that we need to try to address. As I'm, as I'm always saying, it is very much on our side, which is the side of, uh, of truth, is very much a message of actual self-acceptance, of real affirmation. All right. I want to play this clip for you that, because there's, there's so much that is contained in this clip. So much is, uh, is shown, is learned perhaps in this. CNN held a focus group with Trump supporters in Pennsylvania. And the goal, obviously, because it's a focus group with Trump supporters and it's on CNN, the goal is to embarrass them and to show that they're a bunch of ignoramuses. But it didn't work out that way. In fact, it kind of worked exactly the opposite way. Uh, The person who was trying to embarrass the Trump supporters only got embarrassed in the process. So I want to go through and watch a little bit of this. Let's see. Doug Mastriano was at the insurrection and he was photographed breaching one of the restricted areas. Is that okay? Which area? Because I saw a video where Capitol officers yes. were taking away barriers and unlocking Opening doors. doors. Yeah. So, oh, I mean, I, they opened the gates. So and it let shouldn't them in. be disqualifying for an elected official no, no, no. if they no, participated in January 6th. He, he didn't strike anybody. He didn't hurt anybody. Yeah, and the only one that died was a protester there, not a Capitol police. An unarmed officer. female veteran. Was That's the only one police. that died. That's well, the only one who died. A police officer did die. No. It was a stroke. That's not. That's not, not on site. Caused by that, that's because right. he shouldn't have been a police officer. It was one woman. So, was what do you make though overall of January sixth? I mean, it was watching that footage. It was pretty disturbing. I mean, there were people throwing excrement at the All right, walls. Let's pause it there for a second. So, uh, she, she makes she pivots there. So, well, what do you make of January sixth in general? Because because she realized that what she's telling what the claims that she's making about January 6th are incorrect. And these people know that it's incorrect. So what's happening here is that she's trying to showcase their ignorance, but instead, uh, in fact, they are educating her about January 6th. Uh, they are, they are better educated on January 6th than she is. And she says, this is a, a common bit of misinformation that we still hear somehow is that uh, there were police officers who died on January 6th. Didn't happen. Did not happen. Um, there were no police officers killed by the, by the rioters on January 6th. That did not happen. There's Brian Sicknick who had a, a stroke, had a medical, you know, had a, had a medical emergency after the fact and then there were, there, were, there were other police officers who, in the weeks and months afterwards, there were, I think it was two, who tragically committed suicide and shamelessly for, you know, years now, it is, the, 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 the left has been, uh, has been t- taking those suicides and connecting it to January 6th with, without any evidence whatsoever. So these people know all of that. Because, well, how do they know it? Because they, although they're participating in a CNN 
uh, forum or a CNN you know, focus group, they don't, they don't rely on CNN to get their information. Really, the sense, rather than being a showcase of the ignorance of Trump voters, which is what CNN was hoping for, it is a showcase of, of among other things, CNN's own irrelevance. That these random voters that they picked up in uh, Pittsburgh, they don't, they don't care, they're not looking at CNN for it. They don't care what CNN says. Uh, CNN has made itself irrelevant. So then she pivots to talking about January 6th in general. Let's keep watching this a little bit. There were people throwing excrement at the walls, and it was our, you know, it's the Capitol. It looked a lot true. like Antifa's actually. Yeah, it looked to me. Except on a much smaller scale, it looked the same as the Black Lives Matter riots. That's it's what I saw the similarities to being. Minneapolis burns, Kenosha burns. But so it's okay Rocket just because burns. just because I, one side that you no, disagree with. I'm it's saying okay Antifa for, infiltrated. No, it's good for one, it's good for the other. Anybody I don't who see harms anybody. Anybody who caused property destruction, that needs to be dealt with. Yeah, but if you're there making side. your voice heard at the right. people's house, no less, yeah. that, I, that's, again, it's a fundamental constitutional right of an American citizen. And people should not be being held political prisoner uh, because of it. For misdemeanors. That's I mean, East Germany. That's East Germany. Tactics. Yeah, that's what's scary. It was an actual fiery but mostly peaceful protest. And the other ones that were the opposite. Was the protest legitimate our, in your eyes? Administration, because... I feel like, is using it as their Reichstag fire. Yeah. That's exactly what they're using it as. Mm-hmm. Do you think that President Trump could have quelled the violence that day? Not him personally. I don't think no. so, no. I don't think so. It started while he was still speaking. I was actually there. I, right. I, I was there. I'd love to see an hour-long focus group with this with this uh, this group of Americans here, these patriots, and a, a CNN anchor. You know what I actually want to see, though? What I would love to see is a group of Democrat voters focus group ask the same questions. Okay, but get some Democrat voters, get some leftists into a focus group, and start talking to them about January sixth. And I guarantee uh, there's going to be a whole lot more misinformation being spread. You know, because these are people who actually rely on the corporate media for their information. And uh, if we were to swap them out for leftists, we're going to hear all about how there was like a dozen police officers with a bloodbath, people lying dead all over the place. That's what we would hear. Of course, all the points that they make about uh, about compare, you know, what happened with the BLM riots and Antifa, all totally valid. And the CNN reporter has no response to that other than to say, well, just just because one person, so two wrongs don't make a right. Are you admitting that it was a wrong now? Because that would be something new for CNN. Are you admitting that the BLM riots were actually wrong? I don't think anyone at CNN has ever even admitted that. As opposed to on the right, right, with like this this one single example that you have of people on the right rioting. That's what it was. It was a riot. And these were mostly people who are on the right. And it's happened one time in like, decades okay as opposed to on the left when it's I mean we, we went through a, a season we went through a, a period of a we went through a season where it was happening on a daily basis but you got your one example and every conservative that I've ever talked to we have no problem saying that was that shouldn't have happened that was incredibly stupid that's it's a horrible decision okay there was I was saying it at the time there's there's nothing good can come of this for the people who are participating in it. 
There's, there's no good that comes of this. Ab- none whatsoever. Now, there's, there's, and in fact, there's good for the left and for the, the, uh, and for the elites and the powerful people in Washington. They're going to make hay of this, and that's exactly what they've done in the, um, in the, in the many months after following. So we have no problem saying that. It's no problem for us. On the left, though, they can't, they still have not gotten around to actually denouncing or admitting that, uh, that, any, that the, the BLM did anything wrong by rioting those many dozens and hundreds of times that they did. All right, similar theme here. Ted Cruz um, was able to get himself onto The View, which I, I have to admit to some, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit sour about this. I'm a little, uh, I'm a little jealous because this is my, this is my dream. This is my dream, is to be on the View. Ted Cruz was had a chance to be on there, and I, I will say that if it, if it can't be me, you know, um, there is a there's, there are there's a selection of people on the right who, if it can't be me, I would love for it to be one of them. I think Ted Cruz is on that list because he he handled this wonderfully, and uh, there were a lot of great moments, um, but I thought. This about election denial was maybe the best moment of all. Listen. Anytime a Republican is in front of a TV camera, try to say the election was fair and square and legitimate. You know who y'all don't do that to? You don't do it to Hillary Clinton, who stood up and said Trump but stole the election. You don't try to kill my former Abrams, who said boss. who said that the election was stolen. They sat here yes. and said it was That's illegitimate, right. and, and, it and was. you guys were fine with it. Okay, so, so, so it's illegitimate did, did when Republicans she, did, win, the, but not when Democrats. No, you know, here's the thing: we may not like when Republicans win, but we don't go and we don't storm. We don't try to change, but we'll go to the did I miss an entire year of Antifa riots where cities across this country were burning and, and police cars well, were being yeah, firebombed? You Your position is the left doesn't engage in violence, really? No, they wanted to miss our friend Mike Pence. Like, we how do we do, make you sense just of accused that? us of doing something we didn't do. You said Hillary Clinton didn't say whatever she didn't say. I'm saying to you, listen. And she said we it's sitting said, here, and you we were fine come, with her saying it was illegitimate come, yes, for, for Republicans her it was. to win. She called so Donald Trump the next opinion. morning, and yeah. she conceded the election, Ted. Who okay. might took the Look. call? As did Stacey Abrams. All right. She, 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 she sat there while, while Donald Trump Hillary was getting Clinton sworn in. Hillary Clinton says Trump is an illegitimate Two president. Hillary Clinton right. says the it's, election is stolen from you. Hillary Clinton in 2002. George W. Bush was oh, selected, not elected. Joe Biden. <laughs> Al Gore was, was elected president. So Joe Biden yeah. claims George W. Bush is illegitimate. We just said we don't scream at each other, right? Or, do, or, or is it just you that gets okay. to scream? Okay. Uh, this is good. And, and we got to give credit to Ted Cruz because I know you might think, well, that, that's easy to win an argument with. Uh, I just said before that MSNBC panel had the collective IQ of a meerkat. But these these women and there's more of them, I don't even think would make it uh, would, would make it that that high up on the scale. So you might think, well, see, there's a bunch of morons. Of course, you could win an argument. And they are a bunch of morons. But but even so, you, it's, it's hard to, to overstate um, how kind of overwhelming it can be to be in a totally hostile environment, even when you're surrounded by morons. In fact, like especially if you're surrounded by, by, by morons in some ways. And uh, everyone is, so you're sitting at a table, everyone's against you, the entire audience is against you. And to be able to handle that uh, is not something that everyone can do. I thought Ted Cruz did a great job there. Um, and uh, once again, the point that he's raising is obviously 100% correct. 
And but the answer from the left and what you actually hear from the women on the view there is, well, it's different when we do it. And that's that's how they see it. It's it's different when we do it. So that's that's as I'm always reminding you, that's the standard. It's not so much a double standard. There is one standard, uh, which is that we can do these things and you can't. That's what the standard is. Which doesn't mean that we should tire of pointing out that fact. Any any chance you get to point it out and put it on display for everyone else, that's that's good. So Ted Cruz on The View, this debate is not about convincing the women on The View. They cannot be convinced. We all know that. Um, it's more for anyone else who might see it, any other spectator. All right, a few days ago, Marco Rubio reported that a man who was canvassing for him wearing a Rubio shirt and a DeSantis hat was brutally assaulted by someone because of his political views. Rubio tweeted, quote, Last night, one of our canvassers wearing my T-shirt and a DeSantis hat was brutally attacked by four animals who told him Republicans weren't allowed in their neighborhood. He suffered internal bleeding and a broken jaw and will need facial reconstructive surgery. So this is, yet, this is apparently yet another example of a conservative being assaulted for his political views, something that is happening with increasing regularity. But the media isn't interested in that story, obviously. They don't want to talk about it. So they set out to find ways to either they ignore it, these stories or they find ways to explain it away or outright justify the violence being committed against conservatives. And that's what they're doing here as well. Alex DeLuca with the Miami New Times tweets, quote, the man attacked last night while canvassing for Marco Rubio has been ID'd as Christopher Monzone, ex-member of the white supremacist group League of the South. Despite Rubio's tweet about the incident, the police report does not mention a political dispute, nor does it indicate that Monzone was targeted because he's a Republican. Oh, yes, we know that uh, this white supremacists are famous for their affinity for Marco Rubio. You know, white supremacists just love Marco Rubio. He's their favorite. Now, as for the alleged, so we have two issues here. We have the justification that is being offered for assaulting this man. Um, and then also the claim that well, they're, they're trying to set this up like it's almost like it's a Jesse Smollett thing. And Marco Rubio made it up. Well, as for the alleged contradiction between the police report and Rubio's claim, here's what the article says. This is their article. It says, quote, a police report um, supplied to New Times indicates that Lopez, that Lopez, who's the guy who committed the assault, confronted Monzone on East 60th Street while Monzone was handing out flyers. Lopez allegedly said, you can't pass by here, this is my neighborhood. During an argument that followed, Lopez grabbed Monzone and proceeded to slam him against the ground, according to the report, whereupon he continued beating the defenseless Monzone in the face. Okay, that actually matches up pretty well with what Rubio said. This is not a Jesse Smollett situation. The assault happened... And the circumstances around the assault are similar in both accounts. Neither contradicts the other. There are details missing, which is usually the case in the days immediately following a violent crime. So we'll find out more as they investigate. But in fact, based on the police report, this helps to confirm what Marco Rubio said. Um, As to the supposed white supremacist connection. This is what it has come to, right? Digging up dirt on assault victims to justify the assault. And that is why they're doing it. 
I don't know if it's true or not. I, I don't know anything about this guy's background or what groups he's been affiliated with. I don't know. I'm not going to believe anything just because the media says it. So I don't accept it as true. But it's also completely irrelevant. There's just no reason to be talking about it. It's got nothing to do with anything. So why are they bringing it up? Well, they're bringing it up to, again, justify the assault. Uh, and justifying it, it's, it's not as though the person who committed the assault knew that the person that he was assaulting was allegedly affiliated with the white supremacist group or whatever. It's more the media saying, well, this guy's a white supremacist, uh, so it doesn't really matter if he gets beat up. Whatever the reason was, it doesn't matter. His life, his life doesn't matter. That's why the left has spent so much time labeling all of us white supremacists and Nazis, right? We're all white supremacists and Nazis if we disagree with them. And it doesn't matter our own ethnic. It doesn't matter you're black, white, Hispanic. If you're on the right, you're a white supremacist and you're a Nazi. That has been made very clear. And the reason why they do that is, one, obviously, to try to discredit everything we say without having to engage with it. But, two, it is to set the stage for violence. This, this actual, for all of their talk about inciting violence, when you go around claiming that your political opponents are literal Nazis, you are inciting violence against them. That's what you're doing. And you're doing it on purpose. That's the intention behind it, obviously. All right. Uh, let's see what else we have here. This is a report from the Daily Wire. It says Sandy Hook families are asking a Connecticut judge to order Alex Jones to pay them trillions, trillions of dollars in damages, in addition to the $965 million that jurors ordered Jones to pay uh, the families. The families claim that they are entitled to the money because they allege that Jones broke a state law that bans the sale of goods through the use of false statements. Bloomberg News reported that The families arrived at $2.75 trillion by taking the maximum penalty allowed under state law, $5,000, and multiplying it by 550 million social media views that Jones got on his social media accounts in the three years following the the 2012 shooting. The family's lawyer said, Alex Jones perpetrates this attack for one reason, greed. Alex Jones will never treat them like real people because they're too valuable to him as targets. So $2.75 trillion trillion. This is obviously grotesque and absurd. Uh, it's a, a joke, not a funny joke, but a joke. Trillions of dollars. And I, I say this as someone who, I, from the beginning, I was extremely vocally opposed to the Sandy Hook conspiracy theories. The idea that it was staged or a hoax or whatever never made any sense. There was never any good evidence to support it. Um, there, was never, ever, there was never any evidence at all, actually, good or not, so you don't have to explain any of that to me. Even so, what they're doing to Alex Jones here goes way, way, way beyond the Sandy Hook stuff. This is transparently an effort to destroy him because he's Alex Jones, because he said a whole lot of other things that are even more offensive to the powers that be. That's obviously the case. No matter how you feel about Alex Jones, that's obviously the case. And we know it's the case. We know it. Because if he was really being bankrupted, and, uh, and to the tune now of they're hoping trillions of dollars, 
which of course he doesn't have anything close to trillion to trillions of dollars. Nobody on earth does, not even Elon Musk does. But um, if it was really about misinformation or defamation, if we if we lived in a country where misinforming your audience or defaming someone actually led to you being utterly financially ruined and you end up in the hole by, by uh, $2.75 trillion, then CNN would be ruined and MSNBC would be ruined and the New York Times would be ruined and the Associated Press would be ruined and CBS News would be ruined, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of these institutions would be held accountable to the same extent, in fact, to a much greater extent. If we were the kind of country that treated misinformation that harshly, a country that really had no tolerance for it at all. I mean, all the outlets just mentioned, along with every other major corporate media outlet, have deliberately lied over and over again to feed many false narratives, including a racial narrative that has led to city blocks being burned and people actually dying. Lots of people. Let's start with that. Far from the only example, but we could start there. And that's not just misinformation either. It's also defamation. How many cops have been defamed, lied about, had their lives totally destroyed, their families' lives destroyed? How many left-wing media personalities had to pay a billion dollars to Officer Darren Wilson for repeatedly claiming that he shot an unarmed kid while his hands were in the air begging, you know, begging for mercy? How many billion-dollar judgments were meted out there? Where is Officer Darren Wilson now? Have we seen him at all? We haven't seen him. He's in hiding for the rest of his life. His life is ruined because he shot and killed someone who was trying to kill him. He shot. He, he was a, a, a totally justified shooting, which even which on the local and federal level they found was justified. Even Obama's, the Obama, Obama's DOJ tried to find a reason to file hate crime charges against him. They looked at the ballistics, they looked at the evidence, and even they couldn't find it. Doesn't matter. This man's life is, is over. His family's life is over. I mean, hiding for the rest of his life. Any billion-dollar judgments for that? I mean, there's that, uh, that, that infamous, now infamous photo from, I think it was CNN, and all of the CNN reporters and anchors are sitting around the table and they've got their hands up. And they're doing the hands up, don't shoot thing. Every single one of them. That's the, every single one of them. Misinformation, defamation, ruining somebody's life. No accountability. Not one left-wing media personality or outlet was held accountable for that or for pretty much anything else. Possible exception would be the, uh, the misinformation, the defamation connected to the... the um, uh, the the Nicholas Sandman case, but even there, you know, we we don't know what the what the judgments say. So he won some of those lawsuits, thank God. We don't know what the judgments were, but I I think we can assume that it wasn't billions. And I think it's a pretty good chance chance it wasn't even millions. So when you when you look at the contrast, right? When you look at the people who can get away with misinformation and defamation. And the people who can't, um, it's very clear what the political agenda is. And there's just no, there's just no denying it. All right. You know, we also have this clip, which I think we're going to have to save for tomorrow, unfortunately. Um, 
it's a very it's a it's a weird thing. I, I started hearing from people yesterday or a couple days ago that I appeared in a Hallmark film, uh, very much without my knowing. I was I made an appearance in a in a Hallmark film. It's a film called Noel Next Door, because Hallmark they're now uh, they started doing their ninety days of Christmas thing or whatever it is, where they start playing a bunch of original and originally terrible, uniquely terrible Christmas films in the lead up to Christmas. And we know that Hallmark has long since gone woke. And so apparently they, uh, they had a, a, a character that, that some viewers figured seemed to be based on me. And it was kind of like a caricature of me. And I wanted to go through that clip and watch it and just so, see if we could determine, is this supposed to be me or not? But I think we have to save that for tomorrow. So tune in for that tomorrow because we have to get now to our comment section. Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang. Scott Slingerland says, I think it's a little unfair to talk about Cori Bush's poor book sales. She did quite well when you consider how few of her loyal followers are actually literate. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, She probably sold more books than she has literate fans or fans at all. So I could see that. But that's that's no excuse. I mean, I sold a book that was intended for an audience of mostly illiterate people in Johnny the Walrus. It was a kid's book. You know, it's a kid's book for, for young kids, many of whom can't read. And that book did, if I have to remind you again, extraordinarily well. Because I am, if you hadn't heard me mention it before in the past, now a best-selling LGBT children's author. Marco Curez says, My family and I drove 500 miles to be at Friday's rally. I'm happy to report that after the event, those Satanists regrouped in a nearby park and cried their eyes out and consoled each other after the trauma of seeing you live in person. They know they lost. Uh, and did you get video of this? That's, uh, that is my question. Is there a video? So they were in a parking lot crying after the event. Uh, I would love to see video of that. You know, only so that I could extend my sympathies to them. Lenny says, Matt, what do you think of politicians trying to dodge debates? Fetterman will debate Oz tonight, but he had to basically be forced into it. Yeah, I mean, well, for him, it makes sense. I guess Fetterman and Oz are going to debate tonight, and it's, it's going to be a bloodbath. It just is. Uh, and it would have been even before Fetterman lost his ability to speak coherent sentences, if he ever even really had that ability to begin with. But Oz is, has been on television for, say whatever else you want about him, he's got a lot of experience on TV. And so he's been in this kind of environment many, many times. Fetterman never has. So it's already a mismatch. And then you add on to it the fact that he, Fetterman legitimately has brain damage. And so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm not sure how that's going to work at all. So I don't, I actually don't, I think that the, that the debate should happen. I want the debates to happen. But it's politics. And if you can, if you're in Fetterman's spot and you can get away with not doing the debate, of course you would. It would be political malpractice to do a debate if, you, if there was any way of getting out of it. But there was no way. So you had to do at least one. That's what's happening tonight. Uh, it's also, it's an interesting strategy too, by the way, to, to, for him, he's doing one debate and he's doing it so close to the election. You'd think maybe if you're going to do only one, uh, maybe schedule it for like a month ago. So when it goes horribly, then you've got time to try to change the subject. Um, or another way of looking at it is do it very close to the election so that if it goes horribly, there's not a lot of time for that damage to, you know, there's not a lot of time for all the clips and videos of you choking to circulate. I don't know. Maybe that's the strategy they're going with. Um, 
Jack says, I've always avoided getting involved in activism because all the ones I've ever met have been really self-righteous and annoying. But to be fair, they were all activists for leftist causes. This is something I can get behind. It's needed and it's time to save children. I'm on board. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're on board. And uh, what you're saying is exactly what we talked about yesterday. This is the, you know, it's why the right doesn't get involved in activism as much. They have this notion of it as this like silly thing. And, and uh, you know, uh, and we're, we're, we're suffering the consequences of that. We're suffering the consequences of thinking that we're, we're you know, we don't have time to be activists and we're, we've got jobs and everything else. And so we can't do it. And it's true. We do have jobs. And that is another disadvantage because we don't, you know, you got to take off work if you want to go to a rally or protest in the middle of the day. But do we want to save the country or not? You know, are we just going to give up? And activism, it's not the be all and end all, but there, there cannot be any political or cultural strategy that doesn't include any activism at all. It does have an impact. It does matter. It's why the left does it. Um, M.I. Prepper says, I've, uh, I guess that's Michigan Prepper, I don't know. I've been a moderate, I've been a moderate voting for both Democrats and Republicans my whole life. This year I'm voting straight Republican for the first time. Uh, it's going to be a straight ticket. I'm hearing a lot of that kind of thing, which leads again to the uh, coming red wave, I would think. And uh, Jonathan says, Matt, as a Muslim, I support you and believe in your intentions. I think everyone in the DW is working on what all of our faiths preach. And that is why Muslims like you and Jordan Peterson and secretly Ben Shapiro. Yeah, there is, uh, as I said yesterday, if you're a religious person, and I have to always stipulate a, an adherent to an old religion, the leftism itself is a religion, so I don't mean that. Um, if you are a religious person in the other sense of the word, then you would think that there would be plenty of grounds for um, an alliance when it comes to these cultural issues. And I think that there is. Jill says, Matt, you've been chiming in on airplane controversies, but you haven't mentioned the biggest one, window shade up or down. Please tell me you have the correct view, which is that it always stays down. I think we have talked about this before, and unfortunately... That means that you're banned, Jill, twice over. You're banned once for not being able to recall every single thing we've talked about, which tells me that you're not taking notes during the show, which is unacceptable. And you're banned again for uh, having the absolutely deranged and indefensible position that the window shade should stay down. So I'm just going to say a few things to reiterate. First of all, I am a frequent flyer. Uh, I'm probably in the top, I don't know, 1% in terms of the amount of time spent flying in a given year. And, and And yet, even I in planes all the time. I can still appreciate the fact that every time we fly, we are getting access to a view, to a a physical perspective that nearly all human beings on earth who've ever lived have never had access to. Thousands of generations came and went without, without any one of them ever seeing the earth from more than a few hundred feet up. And most of them, it was never more than like eight or nine feet up in the air, if that. And we're able to see from 35,000 feet and you want to keep the shade down? We have th- this view of the earth that no, almost no one's ever been able to see, and you, want to, you, don't, you don't even want to look at it? Do you go to the Grand Canyon and just keep your back turned to it the entire time? You probably do, because that's what people do now. They get their back turned so they can take selfies. So they experience the Grand Canyon through the phone behind them. And then they fall off and die. I mean, it happens every day. Second, 
You are not the only one in your row, Jill. Just because you're closest to the window does not mean that you own the window. You don't pay for the window. You pay for the seat. Just like if you sit near the wing of the plane, you don't own the wing. If you sit closest to the engine, you don't own the engine. You don't, you don't, you don't own the window. You don't own that part of the plane. It's just, it's your, it's the seat that you paid for, not the window. Okay. We all paid for access to the row. We share the row. You have your own seat. The window belongs to the row. And so if you want to put that window shade down, you need to get permission from the other people in the row. Um, Third and final point, I need to be able to see out of the window so that I can keep the plane in the sky with my brain waves. That is science, all right? I can't explain it. It's just I feel like the plane's more likely to crash if I can't look out the window. It's, it's literally science. It is a scientific fact that if I can see out the window, the plane is less likely to crack, crash. It's been tested by scientists who were doing science, and they determined this. Media Matters can quote me on this. I want this to be the next reason that I am trending on Twitter. Matt Walsh says that he keeps planes in the sky with his brainwaves. I am actually saying that right now. Make that trend. Do it. The whole world needs to see and know about this. Well, now feels like a good time to read another email The Daily Wire was CC'd on in in an ongoing ad segment called Breakup Letters. No, these are not Tom Brady and Giselle's hacked emails but real messages from former Harry's Razors customers who canceled their subscriptions and switched to Jeremy's. Today's letter is from a man writing to Harry's, quote, I've been a subscriber since 2015, but I'm canceling because I'm one of the knuckle-dragging savages that believes in traditional morality. I stuck with y'all after the Gillette Razor snafu, but I'm leaving because of your treatment of Daily Wire. Delete my account. Well said. When it comes to all these woke virtue signaling companies, delete my account is the new lose my number. And frankly, the only acceptable response to a partner who hates you. So if you're a man who also believes in traditional masculine values like not wearing a dress or ritualistically declaring that boys can be girls and girls can be boys, it's past time that you ditch your woke razor and pick up a Jeremy's razor instead. Go right now to jeremysrazors.com. Get 40% off your founder's uh, shave kit today. That's jeremysrazors.com. Stop giving your money to woke corporations. Give it to Jeremy instead. And keep the breakup emails coming by copying us at reviews at jeremysrazors.com. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. No, right after Will Smith assaulted Chris Rock on stage at the Oscars at the behest of his emotionally abusive wife, legions of apologists on social media came up with a brilliant excuse in the form of a whataboutism. They declared that Criticism of Smith and his eventual banishment from the Academy was hypocritical, was even racist, because John Wayne assaulted a Native American woman on stage at the Oscars and never faced any backlash. Now, that claim dates back to 1973, when a woman named Sasheen Littlefeather took the stage in her buckskin dress and Indian getup to uh, turn down the Oscar on behalf of Marlon Brando. She explained that Brando couldn't accept the award for his performance in The Godfather because of a long list of grievances having to do with Hollywood's treatment of Native Americans. Uh, The complaints went beyond Hollywood, actually. They went all the way back to Wounded Knee in 1890. Now, why a massacre in South Dakota in the 19th century would prevent Marlon Brando from accepting an Oscar in Hollywood in the 20th century was never explained. The greater point, as far as the social media peanut gallery was concerned, is that John Wayne was never held accountable for his vicious assault of the Native American woman. Of course, John Wayne didn't assault anyone on stage. 
The story, which grows with each retelling, much like the eight-pound bass I caught last June, which was a five-and-a-half-pound bass as recently as last month, is that John Wayne had to be held back by security because he tried to rush the stage and assault the woman. Like that, that was, that was, that's the story. It was, now they say it was assault. Before it was he was trying to rush the stage. Turns out that the story about him trying to rush the stage is also an exaggeration of the original story, which was that John Wayne was fuming backstage and ranting about how he wanted to go up there and pull her off the stage, but then he never did. And yet that story, too, as far as we could tell, was also made up. There's no evidence that John Wayne did anything of note that night. Nothing actually happened. This is an urban legend that started to gain steam back in the 70s and has taken on a new life in recent years whenever the racial grievance peddlers can make use of it. But the story, it turns out, is even faker than we thought. Not only did John Wayne never try to assault the Native American woman, but evidently, there never was any Native American woman to assault in the first place. As a report in the San Francisco Chronicle reveals this week, only, only a few weeks after her death, Sasheen Littlefeather, who, who died earlier in the month um, and had become a prominent Native American activist after that incident at the Oscars, spoke out about Native American issues for decades, was not actually Native American. The Chronicle reports, quote, According to her biological sisters, Rosalind Cruz and Trudy Orlandi, Littlefeather isn't Native at all. It's a lie, Orlandi told me in an exclusive interview. My father, who was, uh, was, was who he was, his f- family came from Mexico, and uh, my dad was born in Oxnard. It is a fraud, Cruz agreed. It's disgusting to the heritage of the tribal people, and it's just insulting to my parents. Littlefeather's sisters both said in separate interviews that they have no known Native American slash American Indian ancestry. They identified as Spanish on their father's side and insisted their family had no claims to a tribal identity. Quote, I mean, you're not going to be a Mexican-American princess, Orlandi said of her sister's adoption of a fraudulent identity. You're going to be an American Indian princess. It was more prestigious to be an American Indian than it was to be Hispanic in her mind. So this news has been devastating to those who championed her as an activist for all those years. Yet it's a great relief to uh, Elizabeth Warren, who is practically an Apache warrior in comparison to this woman. At least Warren is 1,000th Native American or whatever it was. Littlefeather, whose real name was Marie Louise Cruz, didn't even have that much uh, claim. The article goes on to provide a, a possible reason why Cruz decided to play dress up. Quote, news coverage of her burgeoning attempts to make a name for herself in the entertainment world hint at a possible reason for assuming a native identity. About four months before Littlefeather appeared at the Oscars on September 28, 1972, legendary Chronicle columnist Herb Kane wrote a piece about a turn for the worse in her modeling career. Quote, Sasheen Littlefeather, the Bay Area Indian princess, and nine other tribal beauties are sore at Hugh Hefner. Playboy ordered pictures of them riding horseback nude in Woodside and other beauty spots, and then Hefner rejected the shots as not erotic enough. Um, why do them in the first place? Well, explain Littlefeather. Everybody says black is beautiful. We wanted to show that red is too. Like many aspiring actors, this was assuredly not how Littlefeather's dream of stardom was supposed to go, but perhaps it was better than being ignored. Better than being ignored. Really sums it up, doesn't it? It should come as no surprise that even back in the 70s, professional victimhood was already becoming a lucrative career. I mean, that is the decade, after all, when the boomers came of age, and they are the ones who 
invented the field of, uh, of professional victimhood. They created this industry and the market, marketplace that demands it. And it's also, it also comes as no surprise that neither this San Francisco Chronicle article nor any other article or commentary in the corporate media about this fraud actually grapples with the fundamental question here. And that question is, why is victimhood so profitable? Why is it desirable in our culture to be a victim? How is it that people can establish long and distinguished careers for themselves as professional victims? The Chronicle comes up with an individual explanation for Cruz. She was failing as an actress and as a model and looking for another way to get attention. But they don't widen the lens and look at the bigger picture because they never do, because they know that if they did, they would see what they do not want to see. Namely, that the desire for victimhood is a culture-wide disease. Sashi Littlefeather and Elizabeth Warren and Rachel Dolezal and all the rest of them, the many, many, many rest of them, didn't come up with this on their own or in a vacuum. It is a societal phenomenon. We are conditioning people to desire control and power for its own sake and to attain it in the most shameful, passive-aggressive, manipulative way possible through emotional blackmail and the exploitation of misplaced sympathies. Now, of course, people in all cultures and all periods of history have desired power and control. That's part of the human condition. But there are good and bad reasons for wanting it, and there are good and bad ways to try and obtain it. In times past, whether power was desired for a good or bad reason, uh, most often the way to achieve it was through success, through uh, greatness, through achievement. If you wanted to be somebody, you had to do something. You had to accomplish something. Now we've created a society where a lack of accomplishment is an accomplishment. The less you do, the more you can claim you are oppressed. You just need to belong to the right demographics. And if you don't, well, that's an easy fix. You can just lie, lie about it. That's what the character known as Sashi Littlefeather figured out, and many young people today are discovering the same thing. And so, as it is probably redundant at this point to cancel a woman who just died, Instead, I think today, we will again say to all victimhood merchants that you are canceled. That'll do it for the show today. Um, talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day. Godspeed. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our show, Morning Wire, where we bring you all the news that you need to know in 15 minutes or less. Join me and my co-host, Georgia Howe, for daily coverage of all the biggest stories on Morning Wire. 